Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Deirdre Boza, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with uh, John Ford and Deirdre Bosa. Today, big tech CEOs go to Washington as the White House attempts to get some firm commitments on cybersecurity from the private sector. Then an earnings exclusive with Intuit, the CEO of the $150 billion fintech player, is going to join us next. And 15,000 reasons to buy tech or sell it. The Nasdaq continues its record climb. Got an all-time high on the S&P today as well. And that's where we'll begin with Mike Santoli, who is taking a look at valuations this morning, Mike. Yeah, Carl, you know, it's a little bit of a break from that pure either-or market we were in for so long, where it was either the big growth stocks or the cyclicals working. It seems as if the Nasdaq's able to hold its own. As a matter of fact, if you look at the Nasdaq 100 versus the Dow Jones Industrial Average over the last year, obviously neck and neck, different phases of out and under performance. But this is actually dated to September 2nd of last year, which was that huge relative peak in the Nasdaq. Remember last summer at this time, it was a massive melt-up in the FANG-type stocks, almost to the exclusion of everything else. They represented 25% of the S&P 500. Since then, they've worked off the relative excesses while still actually staying uh, in this uptrend, even, by the way, with Amazon doing absolutely nothing over this, uh, over this period. So it has been a relatively well-balanced market up until now. Take a look, too, at what's happened to valuations of the NASDAQ 100, which is the majority uh, of the, uh, the market cap and the earnings power of the overall NASDAQ. It's trended lower. So obviously, this is coming from a very elevated level, 32 times earnings. It was about a 20-year high uh, in forward P.E. back then. But it has been compressed down to uh, 27, 28-ish, still a premium to the S&P 500, but one of about 25 to 30 percent versus the S&P, as opposed to back then when it was more like 1.4 times uh, the the S&P's multiple. So it seems like we've had some moderation, even without having too much in the way of outright losses, guys. Mike, we're going to talk meme stocks and crypto in a moment, but two parts of the market that aren't really rebounding, that's Chinese stocks, tech stocks. So we did see sort of a bounce yesterday and also SPACs. Uh, they are sitting out sort of this resurgence in tech. What does it or not tell us about the broader markets? Yeah, I would, I would also add to that, by the way, biotech, which has really been blasted within the index uh, uh, over the past month. And really disruptive tech, if you want to call it the art complex, pretty much flat year to date, even though they had a great start. So all those things tell me that you've had a little bit of a crescendo of some speculative activity. Obviously, we know what's going on with the Chinese stocks. It's a little bit specific there in terms of the authorities turning the dial on those companies. But to me, it was about you've had these fevers uh, of speculative excitement that have faded and it's netted out to the benefit of more the stable uh, big mega caps that are kind of able to, to weather through it without necessarily being the sexiest story in the market. So to me, that's what it tells us. But what's interesting is some of the 
relatively recent IPOs have perked up just very recently. Like, you know, you look at what Airbnb was doing this week, uh, for example, and you wonder if maybe uh, they've gone sideways long enough that uh, if the market stays together, we keep making new highs. It's unlikely that they remain totally neglected uh, in the fourth quarter. Hey, Mike, we don't always uh, talk Fed on this show, but Wells today says we do expect the Fed to start talking about tapering in earnest. This will potentially reduce the downward pressure on yields, they believe, a trend that has been supporting longer duration assets. And as a result, they cut software. I wonder if you think that makes sense. You know, it makes sense in terms of how the market has behaved recently. And the correlation being much lower yields has netted out to the benefit of software, especially within tech. So I get it. I mean, that's been uh, kind of the algebra of, of the market recently is yields down equals, uh, you know, relative underperformance of software. I think there's a lot of assumptions embedded in that. For one, uh, in the past, when the Fed has tapered or ended a QE phase, it has not meant that long-term yields went up. Uh, so we don't really know that that piece of it's going to work, uh, although I think everybody rightly is on alert for a lot more talk about taper, even if not detailed uh, scheduling coming out of either Jackson Hole or the September meeting. Mike, thank you. We did point our audience towards meme stocks. Take a look at them. Uh, They surged once again in late hours yesterday. Uh, The biggest gainers, once again, who else? GameStop and AMC. Shares of those retail darlings jumping more than 20 percent, respectively. As you can see, GameStop up more than 30 percent this morning. Other big gainers include Chamath-backed Clover Health, Robinhood, and wish. Now, the rally is putting the squeeze on short sellers with close to a billion dollars in estimated losses, according to analytics company Ortex. Uh, John, you got Bitcoin trading near 50K, a street call yesterday for Coinbase to hit 420. It feels like April all over again. Yeah. And a confession, D, I, I don't care about meme stocks. I mean, I'm not sure there are actually memes anymore about most of these stocks. A lot of them aren't tech stocks. They aren't making any claim to fundamental a technology innovation. I mean, p- people are jumping on them because of hopes, maybe, or, or popularity, Carl. But this is like a sideshow that's fun. It says something about the market moment that we're in. But I don't know. I like to dig in on companies that have real technology possibilities, <laughs> understand trends that are driving an industry. And in this so-called meme stock story, for most of them, that's just not there. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure the Reddit crowd really cares whether or not we, any of us think uh, memes are real. Right. Uh, John, and clearly, I don't really though, we care are getting, about the Reddit crowd we are getting s- some commentary that, in general, D, the migration has been away from memes into crypto. That was certainly uh, filled out by some of Robin Hood's commentary last week. Right. On a day when you do see both or a week, I should say, when you do see both surging. And John, I hear you. I hear you. You, you talk about the fundamentals, which is definitely a good thing. Um, but what does it say about the broader markets? Right. I think uh, Mike just touched on this a little bit. We are seeing sort of this rebound parts of the markets with the Nasdaq, though, above 15,000 and sort of in the slow part of the summer as well. Uh, makes you wonder whether what we're going to see for the rest of the year. Certainly, Carl, and you alluded to the Fed's plans this week, which everyone's going to be having a very close eye on, especially tech. Well, when you're wondering what you're going to see, sometimes you need glasses, which brings us to Warby Parker, which uh, sees its path to a public offering, the direct-to-consumer eyewear company, following with the SEC to go public via direct listing. It's reporting nearly half a billion dollars in net revenue over the past year on its S1. Now, I spoke with the founders back at the very end of 2019, right before the pandemic hit, about the prospect of a public listing. 
So when do you do it? What determines when that point is where it's like, oh, well, I mean, it's not when you run out of money. <laughs> you don't want that to happen. Yeah, definitely not. It, it's beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think what we're running uh, our, our business in a way to have maximum flexibility, right, to control our own destiny, and that is by being profitable, right, that enables us to control our own destiny by being careful with our capital needs, um, right, that enables us to control our own uh, destiny by continuing to grow quickly. Um, and uh, we've also been just building all the infrastructure needed to operate as a public company. So uh, we have the flexibility to go out uh, when, whenever uh, we want to. Yeah, the prospect of running out of money for retail companies in general, not so funny in 2020, but that discipline of theirs does appear to have paid off. And several direct-to-consumer public offerings have stumbled. Honest Company, Casper Sleep, Blue Apron, all down more than 40% over the past 12 months. One notable exception in the direct-to-consumer space, though it's not always talked about that way, is Peloton. That's up nearly 300% since its 2019 IPO. Uh, Others have seen exits in the DTC space uh, in the hundreds of millions, including Bonobos, uh, which sold to Walmart, Dollar Shave Club, and Mirror, which went to Lululemon. Uh, But, uh, Carl, I think we're about to get a sense, perhaps of whether the direct-to-consumer route is a fast accelerant into growth, and and that's mostly it, or whether it gives them advantages in continuing to scale. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, We know that they've either lost money or broken even for the past three years. 95% of revenue comes from glasses. How are they going to broaden that out, D? They do have a great mentor, of course, in Mickey Drexler, one of the giants of retail. And I was interested in the Mm -hmm. S1. They talk about the rising use of smartphones tablets uh, and computers that has driven the need for uh, eyewear, uh, prescriptive eyewear, which I definitely relate to. (laughs) Yep, same here. Uh, You need those blue glasses. But you know who's going to be watching this very, very closely is other D2C candidates looking looking at potential IPOs, Allbirds, Sweetgreens, right? John, you mentioned some of the names from a few years ago that have really had a tough go in the markets, Casper Sleep, as well as Blue Apron. So this will be a really important moment for this ecosystem. And, you know, Warby Parker also has a big brick-and-mortar footprint. I was actually surprised to read in the S1, what is it, 145 retail stores, which has become a big part of their strategy. Yep. Uh, It's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, We've covered David Neal for a long time. Uh, WRBY uh, will be the ticker. Meantime, the CEOs of the leading uh, tech and finance companies meeting with the president today to discuss ongoing cybersecurity threats. Eamon Javers has a lot more on what will be a busy afternoon. Hey, Eamon. Carl, we just heard from Ann Neuberger. She's the White House cybersecurity advisor. Uh, She was on CNBC within the past hour talking a little bit about what to expect from this meeting with the president later on. They've got an all-star cast of characters coming to the White House today. One thing she said to watch for here is the idea that companies might make announcements about how they're going to bake in security technology into the hardware and the software that we produce. So Think about that as you think about the types of companies that are coming uh, to the White House today and what kinds of announcements they might be making later on today. She also talked a little bit about this idea of insurance and what it does and does not incentivize in the cybersecurity space. Take a listen. Insurance incentivizes us in various safe practices, like driving a car below the speed limit or installing smoke detectors in our home. So we're looking to see, can insurance incentivize companies to patch quickly, to do incident response in a more strategic way and share information? 
So it'll be interesting to hear from the insurance companies on the back end of this meeting today. Take a look at who's going to be there. As I say, it really is an all-star list of uh, CEOs and executives from top companies around the country, including Tim Cook of Apple, Satya Nadella of Microsoft. Uh, Alphabet's going to be there. Amazon, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Travelers, Duke Energy, Girls Who Code, uh, focusing on that education piece of all this, because the other thing that the White House has been talking about here is the idea that there are about 500,000 cybersecurity jobs that are still vacant in this country. They need to get people trained up, educated, uh, and in the pipeline for those cybersecurity jobs. No way to fill them with just people who are sitting on the bench right now. So a big piece of this is going to be education, training, apprenticeships, and the like. And we'll wait to see what the CEOs have to say when they emerge from the White House later on this afternoon, guys. Back over to you. Eamon, any sense yet of whether the CEOs in the White House are on the same page as far as whether each party is doing enough to keep the country's most critical assets safe? I mean, I've heard some people say, boy, it would be nice if the federal government took more of a lead in setting standards or ensuring compliance. But it sounds like they're kind of putting that off on insurance companies, perhaps. You know, I think that's a great question, John, and I think you'll see everybody on the same page publicly today. Uh, a lot of this has been baked in. There's been a lot of advanced planning around this, and the, the announcements from the companies are, are sort of queued up and ready to go. We'll wait to see what they are, but uh, companies are definitely going to be making some announcements this afternoon at the request of the White House. So everyone is in, you know, full-bore cooperation mode this morning. Uh, but you're right, there's this undercurrent of sort of resentment back and forth. The government side, you know, generally feels like the for-profit side is putting profits over security, uh, not focusing on this enough and being too slapdash. Uh, on the other hand, the, the private sector says, hey, wait a second, we're, in, in some cases we're getting hit by, you know, state-financed uh, intelligence agencies. We can't possibly, you know, combat that. The government has to come in here and protect us more aggressively. So that's the tension that's sort of behind the scenes. Today, though, I think on the surface, everyone's going to be singing off the same song sheet here, John. All right. Love that on the other hand. Eamon, thank you. Uh, shares, meanwhile, of Intuit coming back after a, a nice boost this morning post-earnings. That is a stock that's already had a nice run this year, up more than 50% in 2021. And CEO Sasan Ghadarzi is going to join us exclusively on the other side of this break. A big hour of Tech Check just getting started. Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. 
That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Let's get a gut check on Okta today, leading the Nasdaq this morning after Ray J upgrades it to strong buy, saying, quote, this fallen angel is finding its wings. Stock approaching peaks that we saw in April, February, and December. Can it break out of the range? We'll see. Uh, shares up almost 5%. That's about a three-month high, John. Ah, sounds like an 80s song. Can he learn to fly again? <laughs> learn to live and love so free. Uh, well, a beat on the top and bottom lines, meanwhile, guiding shares of Intuit to touch an all-time high this morning with Credit Karma, a particular bright spot in what was a strong quarter. Joining us now exclusively on those results, Intuit CEO Sasan Ghadarzi. Sasan, good morning. Uh, I wonder what your insight is into this recovery based on the way uh, customers have been behaving for you. Yeah, good morning, John. Thank you for uh, once again having me. You know, we're, we're seeing a nice recovery in the U.S. I'll talk about you know, international you know, in a moment. I think both uh, consumers starting to get back into the job market. Uh, small businesses are starting to, to recover. Albeit, it's important just to state that small businesses aren't all the way back to bright. You know, when we look at our base, uh, there's about 20% of our customers where their net deposits are still down a little bit more than 20% compared to a year ago. Uh, and, but in general, folks are, are coming back. And, and I give you know, just a lot of credit to small businesses where you know, some are changing their, their business models to be much more effective uh, in this type of an environment. Uh, they're leveraging you know, digital platforms like ours to be able to run their business and, and uh, empower their growth. And so things are coming back, uh, I would say, in the U.S. It's a little bit different uh, internationally. You know, we're in countries like U.K., France, Australia, Canada, just to name uh, a few. And I would say you know, Canada is behind the U.S., but some of those other countries like U.K., France, and Australia, uh, they're recovering much, much slower just because the countries have been sort of on and off and opening and closing uh, and just small businesses and consumers in general just don't have the confidence yet to start building up inventory, depending on what they sell, hiring more employees. So I'm confident over time they'll bounce back, but they're certainly behind the U.S. Now, Sasan, we were just talking about the Warby Parker S1, and it strikes me that the issues that they are dealing with, having had to close stores in 2020, furlough some workers, now they're trying to get back on that growth path, very much mirrors the sort of thing that you're talking about, small businesses dealing with, many of whom are your customers, and are wondering what key technologies that are on the newer side, either customers are adopting or needing to adopt to succeed in this environment. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, there, there's three trends, and then I'll make it you know, very real that you know, we're experiencing, but I think uh, as the macro environment is experiencing. One is people are just shifting to leveraging uh, more virtual uh, solutions from wherever they are around the world and, and whenever they need it. They're accelerating their adoption of just online tools, and we're seeing uh, an explosion of using digital offerings to be able to manage your, your money. And so the way that translates into how customers are uh, accelerating, I would say, their behavior changes, you know, when it comes to our live offerings, whether it's to be able to do your taxes virtually or to be able to run your business virtually, we're seeing an accelerated adoption of our TurboTax Live and QuickBooks Live platform, where in essence, you can access a great expert that knows about your specific industry, whether it's plumbing, whether it's a hair salon, whatever it may be. Uh, you can do it virtually and be able to you know, achieve the outcomes that you want with confidence. We're seeing you know, an explosion on the Credit Karma platform because more and more customers, you know, Credit Karma 
as a refresher, has well over 100 million uh, customers, uh, one of the highest net promoter scores that you know is uh, above 70, and just a trusted brand. And so customers and more members are coming to Credit Karma to be able to access financial products that are right uh, for them because Credit Karma knows about each member uh, and with their permission, can connect them to whether it's personal loans, credit cards, auto insurance, you know, free savings and checking accounts, all of which we do, we do with our financial partners, that's accelerating. Uh, and then the same with QuickBooks, which is where I'll end. And that is, we're seeing an acceleration of adoption uh, of our platform to truly be able to run your business. And, and I give a lot of credit to our team in the last couple of years, we've truly made the QuickBooks platform a shift from a place where we're the source of truth for your books, where now we're the source of truth for your business, which means you can grow your customers, manage your money, and be compliant all in one place. And we're just seeing an acceleration uh, with all of our platform because of the shift that I mentioned earlier. And by the way, we believe that this is a secular trend. It will continue. The pandemic really sort of pushed us uh, forward five to 10 years, and we think this acceleration will continue. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And it really sort of reflects a lot of the commentary on the street this morning, uh, meaning a lot of uh, analysts are writing about the old Intuit, which was sort of reliable mid-teens EPS growth versus what they're calling, uh, in the case of Morgan Stanley, the new Intuit, in which you're seeing more durable top-line growth in the high teens. And I guess... Uh, consistent operating margin expansion. And, and that's not something you're pushing back against. No. Well, I mean, first of all, I would just say we're building on a, at a 37-year-old foundation that has gotten stronger you know, every year. And we've invested heavily to truly be a platform company and, and a significant shift from just a platform company that helps you do your taxes and helps you do accounting to a platform company where we help consumers achieve financial freedom uh, in any kind of products that they need uh, that's agnostic and right for them. And same for small businesses where you, know, you can truly fuel your business by running your business on QuickBooks, whether it's apps we create or our, or our partners create. Uh, and so we, we believe uh, in doing the right thing for our customers and this momentum will continue. Yeah. Sasan, I really want to get your take, uh, especially since you, you mentioned Credit Karma that, that you picked up right before the pandemic on some trends uh, in consumer finance and fintech. Uh, is the environment around buy now, pay later healthy? Is that an area that you're looking at going into? And even with crypto and retail trading, so many of the players that are competing with Credit Karma are also dipping their toes into that space. Is that healthy? Is that attractive to you? You know, it, it is, but I would just say I would start with the customer. Right now, uh, buy now, pay later is is a accelerating trend. At, at the end of the day, when you look forward three to five years, it's going to be about choice for customers, whether they want to use credit, whether they want to use debit, whether they want to buy now and pay later, which is another form uh, of a loan, uh, which you have access to, whether it's on our QuickBooks platform or Credit Karma. I just think it's another uh, choice, and we believe in choice for customers because depending on where you are in your life, uh, you do need different choices. There are many that don't need to buy now and pay later and would rather use debit. There are those that would choose to use credit and buy now, pay later. So I think these choices uh, we love because at the end of the day, it allows uh, consumers uh, to be able to fuel and uh, power their financial freedom. Mm. The thing that we are focused on and particularly on the Credit Karma platform is ensuring that we don't entice customers to get into more debt. We want them to understand uh, how to achieve uh, cash management because it's easy to offer products to get consumers in debt. But at yeah. the end of the day, 
we're very thoughtful about how we do that because that yeah, matters lots a ton of people, to us. Lots of companies offering debt these days for sure, and we're wondering how that's going to turn out. Sasan Ghadarzi, uh, CEO of Intuit, with us as that stock again this morning touches an all-time high. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, John. Take care. Meantime, after flirting with 450 back in mid-February, Twilio's now nearly $100 off of that level, down more than 10% in the last month. CEO Jeff Lawson is going to join us on the other side of this break as investors begin to rethink the cloud trade. Meanwhile, S&P still about six points away from 4,500. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to Tech Check. Resetting here at the bottom of the hour. I'm Deirdre Boza with Carl Quintanilla, John Fort, and Julia Borston. We continue to watch the Nasdaq hitting another intraday record high this morning, now at 1534. Let's first get a news update, though, with Rahel Solomon. Rahel. Hi, Deirdre. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. And here's what's happening at this hour. Delta is taking a different approach to getting workers to get their COVID shots starting November 1st. The airline is raising health insurance costs for unvaccinated employees by $200 a month. Unvaccinated workers will also have to undergo weekly COVID testing starting September 12th. Shares of Dick's Sporting Goods soaring to an all-time high after reporting record profits and sales. The retailer also announcing a special dividend, a 20% increase in the regular dividend, and improved full-year guidance. Durable goods orders dipping only a tenth of a percent in July. And this despite a big decline in non-defense aircraft and parts and overall supply chain issues that are restricting production. And the SEC has shut down an investment advisor it claims was running a $110 million Ponzi scheme. A judge has frozen the assets of Southport Capital and Horizon Private Equity. The SEC says that the scheme raised money for more than 400 investors in 20 states, but invested little and paid much of the funds back to early investors. You're now up to date, John. I'll send it back to you. Well, thanks. Now, it's going to be a good afternoon if you like cloud gazing. Software names Salesforce, Box, Snowflake, and Splunk all reporting after the bell. For Salesforce, J.P. Morgan says they expect a healthy Q2 with improving metrics while acknowledging a tough comp and noisy margin dynamics. For Box, the street's looking for about a 10% jump in revenue compared to last year. The stock's up more than 40% in 2021. And Snowflake, uh, by the numbers, the big winner since September 2020 and its IPO up more than 130 percent, but flat this year. We'll see if that company can continue its explosive growth. And analysts are expecting a large increase in Splunk's revenue, but big losses as well. We will see in just a few hours and we'll have a lot to discuss on the show tomorrow, Carl. Absolutely, John. In the meantime, sticking with the cloud space, communications platform Twilio was on a tear, as you know, uh, throughout 2019 and 2020. Shares, though, this year have lagged a bit, uh, down since February. Also announcing this week it has entered into a merger agreement to invest between $500 and $750 million in the SPAC M3 Brigade Acquisition Corp. Joining us this morning is Twilio's co-founder and CEO, Jeff Lawson. Jeff, it's great to have you back. Good morning. Thank you, Carl. Great to be back. 
Walk us through what M3 Brigade brings you and whether or not you're having to spend some time convincing the street that the upside is worth it. Well, uh, the details of the transaction are something that, you know, I, I don't um, uh, talk about too much, but the, the nature of the deal is what's important, which is this is a strategic relationship with a key partner of ours, and they represent uh, for us a, a vendor that is able to help us realize this vision of the future of customer engagement that really centers around messaging. And if you think about it, text messaging is one of the best experiences that we can have when we are engaging with a business, whether it's getting alerts, notifications, uh, getting support and service over this really valuable medium. And for businesses, if you do, uh, do a good job of actually engaging with your customers over messaging, you have the ability to reach the lock screen of their phone, which is the most valuable real estate on the planet. And so uh, the deal with uh, Cineverse is really about uh, getting closer to one of our key partners and enabling this future of messaging that every business uh, that is using messaging finds is key to building closer relationships, tighter relationships with their customers. Right. The strategy uh, certainly sounds like it makes sense, but tactically, was, was this the optimal avenue in w with which to pursue that strategy? I don't know. Time will tell. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if you think in, in some way investors are still a little shell-shocked from recent SPAC weakness and whether or not there is going to be sort of an uphill climb in convincing people that paths that go that route are, are worth it. Yeah, we'll see. Jeff, uh, you know, just to follow on that, is this part of a larger corporate strategy? I mean, we've seen Palantir do something similar, invest in a number of SPAC deals. Are you looking at perhaps other customers to see if you might pursue something similar? And also, you know, you've had a partnership with Cineverse for a while. So why did you have to or want to do this? Well, this was part of their plans, and uh, we, we thought that being a part of it would tighten our relationship with a key partner and vendor of ours. Uh, so this is not a part of a bigger strategy, and I can't speak to the broader SPAC market. Um, I barely understand how SPACs work, so this is not really my uh, forte. I'm more of a technologist. But what I can tell you is that building strategic relationships with uh, you know key partners and customers, you know that's what a company does. And uh, But I would say that the, a SPAC vehicle is a, uh, you know, is, uh, is not really necessarily the strategy of the company. If you hey, Jeff, let's, let's talk about the technology because uh, we've been talking about Warby Parker uh, filing to go public. That's a direct-to-consumer company. We just had uh, Intuit CEO talking about the importance for small and medium businesses of uh, leaning into technology and having better systems uh, at this time. And that's a lot of what Twilio does. So as so many businesses try to accelerate hopefully out of this pandemic, what kinds of messaging technologies, what kinds of ways of connecting to and maintaining connection with consumers are going to be most strategically important? Well, look, the companies that build the most, uh, uh, the tightest connections with their customers, those are the companies that win. Those are the companies that win the hearts minds and wallets of customers because it, it takes it out of the realm of transactional and turns it into a personal relationship. And think about the brands that you receive, you know, messaging from, whether it's, uh, you know, the, the email newsletters, the companies that you start to, you buy repeatedly from, or when you think, oh, I need a new shirt, which website do you go to first? That's the type of relationship that companies are building. And that is the notion of customer engagement. Mm. And Twilio is the leading customer engagement platform. And so it's the companies that use everything they know about you, like what have you bought in the past? What have you expressed that you, you like? And then use that to 
personalize all those communications to make them relevant to you, make them more meaningful to you. That, 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 sounds, is, that, that sounds like further integration into areas that Salesforce, that Adobe, uh, that, that others are trying to create around these kinds of experience clouds and, and experience systems. But you also risk, it seems, annoying the customer with more and more of these types of communications if they aren't really targeted toward what they want. So what are the best companies that are using these systems doing to make sure that it's optimal and that it's an advantage for the customer and not an annoyance? Yeah, I mean, think about Amazon. You know, you and I visit Amazon and we've got a completely different homepage. That is tailored exactly to what we've bought in the past and what they think we might be interested in the future. That's the type of idea that is driving the best companies forward, that dynamic personalization. And every company needs to get as good at that as the tech giants are. Every click, every view that you do on Facebook, Amazon, Google, right? Those are tailoring um, uh, the experience that you're going to have in the future to make it more relevant and more personalized. And I think consumers do absolutely get annoyed when they get irrelevant marketing. You know, when you go to a website and you shop for men's t-shirts and uh, the next day they're sending you an email about women's hats, you're like, are you paying any attention at all? This makes no sense. That's when you unsubscribe. That's when you say, get out of my inbox. But it's the companies that dynamically personalize are the ones who win. That's why we bought the leading customer data platform segment last year. And they help companies do this. Uh, in Q2, we talked about uh, a new customer that uh, segment uh, brought on board, AB InBev, right? Trying to figure out, okay, who are my customers and how do I better serve them? How do I get the right selection of, of, of beer in front of the right customer so I'm not selling uh, you know, a mass brew to a micro brew customer and vice versa, right? Those are the things that really endear you uh, to a customer. And that's what segment is enabling for our customers. Uh, certainly, I think consumers and uh, small business especially can relate to the exact dynamic you're pointing to, Jeff. I appreciate the time. Great to see you again. Thank Jeff you very Watson, much for Meanwhile, Bill Ackman's solution to the lawsuit against his SPAC, a spark, assuming it gets SEC approval, of course. Read about what that is and why he's doing it on CNBC.com. Tech Check is back in two. Funding secured, telehealth startup Calibrate, which focuses on obesity, today announcing a $100 million Series B funding round less than two years after the company was founded. I think that qualifies as a hefty raise. Uh, Julia Borston joins us now to break it down. Julia. It does indeed, John. Now, Calibrate just launched its obesity telehealth product last June. That was June 2020. But now it has raised nearly $128 million total with Tiger Global and Founders Fund leading this 100 million Series B round. And Founders Fund Brian Singerman is joining the company's board. Now, CEO Isabel Kenyon says the company's on track for $21 million in revenue this year and that its members reported an average 14 percent annual body weight loss in just the year of using the service. Now, customers pay a monthly fee for an app and curriculum advising on lifestyle changes. Now, that is 
similar to what WW and Noom offer. But what makes Calibrate different is that it also includes one-on-one coaching and telehealth meetings with doctors who can prescribe weight loss drugs, and those are usually covered by insurance. Now, the target market is the roughly 74% of American adults who are overweight or obese. Kenyon told me the pandemic has been a catalyst for growth as it's expanded entirely virtually. The potential is so much bigger without physical locations and the consumer intent is there now because of COVID, right? Before COVID, you might not have been comfortable seeing a doctor on telemedicine and today you are. But more importantly, I think before COVID, you weren't really focused on your underlying health. What are the conditions that put you at risk for other types of chronic disease? Now, Kenyon said she'll use this funding to work to expand Calibrate service and to get employers and insurance companies to subsidize the cost of the service because of the long-term savings of reducing obesity. You can find my full interview with Calibrate CEO Isabel Kenyon on cnbc.com slash tech check. John? All right. So that's uh, individuals potentially getting healthier. The, the makeup of corporate boards also getting healthier these days, perhaps? You know, the makeup of corporate boards are getting healthier, particularly when it comes to female representation. So the number now is 25 percent. Twenty five percent of board seats in the Russell 3000 are held by women. So that means we're halfway to gender equity on boards. And but it is progress. I do want to say it is progress. Um, Forty seven percent of new directors appointed in the second quarter were women. And that's what's driving the growth. The bad news, though, is that it would take eight years at this rate. Um, to get to gender equity at this pace. So slow but steady progress from 22% last year to 25% this year. Well, hopefully we've got eight years. Uh, Julia, thank you. And Tech Check will be back in a moment. Let's check in on a story that we have been following this week. OnlyFans doing a total 180, scrapping plans to ban sexually explicit material. After coming to a resolution with its bank partners, the decision coming less than a week after its original announcement that the platform would be banning explicit content. And it received plenty of pushback from content creators and advocates who argued that the ban would only drive such work underground, thus making it more dangerous Uh, The company tweeting this morning that it had secured the assurances necessary to support the, quote, diverse creator community and thus suspended the planned October 1st policy change. Uh, John, wow, what a a walk back. I guess the question is, has the damage already been done? Some users really saw this as a move of OnlyFans selling out. There was a report that they were trying to raise money and had trouble doing so. So perhaps... They wanted to clean up their image and, of course, at the expense of their many users. Yeah, diverse creator community. I never heard diversity couched in quite that way before. I I guess it's broadening. But, yeah, um, this is a tricky one, it seems. We talk about fintech a lot. There are so many different ways to pay for things outside of the traditional channels. But it appears that OnlyFans, nonetheless, Carl, was having trouble. 
Yeah, uh, very. It is. It's outright confusing. Uh, we, we talked about it last week and the week before, D, about trying to widen their investor base. How this does that in the face of that turnaround, um, I guess, remains to be seen. Meanwhile, B of A uh, reiterating Goldman is a buy this morning. They say their uh, aggression on the acquisition front is pretty good news for investors. Stocks already up more than 50 percent this year. Uh, you can hear more about that call and some others like it. But B of A this morning on the buybacks from the banks on CNBC Pro. Subscribe today. Tech Checks back in a minute. Fintech companies encroaching on traditional banking services. Brex, the business-to-business B2B payment startup, now offering loans through a venture debt financing product. Joining us now, co-founder and co-CEO Enrique Dubugras. Enrique, great to see you again. Uh, We're seeing more companies in the tech space take stakes in their customers. We just spoke to Twilio CEO Jeff Lawson. We've also seen Palantir invest in their customer SPACs. With this venture debt product, you're also doing something similar, taking stakes in your customers. Is this about building loyalty, selling other products, boosting your corporate balance sheet, both? What's the strategy here? Thank you so much for for having me. Excited to be back. So, just to, for those who don't know Brex, we do financial services and financial software for the next generation of businesses. So we already provided corporate cards, business accounts, loans, expense management, and bill pay software for our customers. And now we're launching venture debt. And venture debt is a type of loan that allows uh, company founders to maximize their ownership in the company while getting the capital that they need to grow their business. And that is the strategy for this product is If we have our customers grow by giving them more loans that maximize their ownership, they grow and, you know, they become bigger customers for Brex. At the same time, we're super excited because we think that this market is ripe for disruption. And we're going to lead with flexibility, speed, and transparency. Traditional lenders today, they take forever to close a loan up to eight to 10 weeks, which was our own personal experience when we started Brex. It's a one-time loan that we get, no guarantee that's going to go up as your business grows. And there's a lot of shady terms. Brex is committing to do that much faster with absolutely no shady terms. And also, we can grow with you. So as your business grows, your line of credit can grow with you as well. What do you consider shady terms? So things, for example, right, like a lot of lenders, they say, hey, I'll lend you $4 million, but you have to keep a minimum of $4 million in your bank account. And that doesn't actually extend runway or help with anything. And a lot of companies, they just don't understand that nuance and end up taking it anyway. Brex is for sure extending runway for all of our customers. Right. Some may call that shady. Some may call that better risk management. However, how do you guys balance sort of the risk that you're taking on with that sort of longer term customer loyalty that you're trying to build? I think that if you're not willing to extend your customer's runway, there's actually no point of the loan, right? So we believe that we need to make our product work by extending their runway, which is a, is a big point for Brex. And the way we risk manage is, is by just picking the best companies out of the Brex customers. So we look who are the fastest growing and doing the best and have you know, great investors, and we partner with mm-hmm. them to keep helping them with their growth. 
Uh, Enrique, finally, I just want to talk about competition in your space, the corporate card space. That's heating up. Uh, Ramp, one of your rivals, just raised money, more than doubled its valuation in about five months. Now, it does differentiate itself by trying to save its customers money, and that seems to be resonating, certainly with investors. Does that represent a shift in spend management? How are you guys thinking about it? We definitely believe that helping our customers save money is an important task. And we have a lot of features around Brex to help them do that. For example, we have features such as we flag unusual activity from employees. So instead of having managers review every single transaction, we can have them review things that just sound out of the ordinary. Or if they have duplicate subscriptions, let's say multiple people are signing up for the same uh, Slack subscription, we can flag that for managers to go and consolidate. Hmm. So we do believe that saving money is an important piece and Brex has a lot to do with it and we're helping our customers save a lot of money as well. Enrique, thanks for being with us again. We, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Enrique Dubugras, Brex CEO and founder. Meanwhile, Kathy Wood has reduced her stake in Nintendo every week since mid-July. This morning, one analyst cuts his price target Basically in half, is it game over for that stock or time to level up? Tech Check is back in two. Nintendo trades well below 64,000 yen, but one analyst says the current price is still more than double what it should be. Hirotoshi Murakami, the only analyst with a sell rating on the stock, slashing his price target to 25,000. And he may not be the only one losing faith in the company. Kathy Wood's ARK Innovation Fund has sold shares every week since mid-July. All of this coming as Microsoft expands their cloud gaming package to Xbox, allowing players to access more than 100 titles for around $15 a month MSFT, outperforming Nintendo by about 50% this year. And we know the role, guys, that uh, Microsoft has been on. Yeah. I wish I could do that sound effect when Mario gets hurt, that boom, 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 right, when he shrinks. But don't count Nintendo out. They focus on gameplay. They know how to come back. At, speaking of coming back. I, I still maybe. play Switch all the time. Yeah, my kids do too. Uh, Brady and Bledsoe, uh, <laughs> Charlie Sheen and Ashton Kutcher, Pam's mom in the office. Sometimes you need a fill-in, and that's what the U.S. government appears to be saying to Intel. They're reportedly nearing a deal to buy a supercomputer from HP Enterprise containing NVIDIA and AMD chips as a placeholder as they wait on one from Intel. HP just tweeting about that. The Intel machine, touted as the nation's fastest computer when it was announced in 2019, is going to eventually find a home in the Argonne National Lab near Chicago. The new NVIDIA AMD computer isn't supposed to be a replacement, just an understudy, but... Intel might want to hurry up. And D, I don't know how you find the time with all of the <laughs> reporting that you do and the humans that you take care of to play Switch, but you, you can multitask. Did I just, yeah, did I just uh, accidentally reveal that I still play the Switch? That's good. Uh, That's it's good. true. But I got, I got kids that play it, so there you go. And, and producers, yeah. too, I will say, on this very show that still play the Switch. <laughs> I'm glad you're uh, steeped in the beat. That's it's important, D. Overall, well, we continue to watch this market. Uh, it's been hard to keep it down, as you know. Record highs on the S&P last couple of days. And we got to 4499.33, uh, just a stone's throw from 4500 and Salesforce and no, Snowflake on the way. Let's get to Frank Holland. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.